John 12, verses 9 through 19. John 12, 9 through 19. And God's word says this. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Please be seated. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's work and presence, and we pray that you'll help us as we interact with this text on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've got one of these phone plans. I got it by accident. Joined up with one company. They were bought by another company, and now I get free baseball because the other company gives that as an incentive. That's kind of nice to get... uh, the whole Major League Baseball season, and they've done it for a couple of years, and I I don't even have to to feel guilty that I did that just so I could get the baseball and even paid a higher price for it because I think I got the best price. But here it is. So I've got baseball all season long once again. And this year's baseball package, uh, they've got the pregame show of various teams. Now, I don't get the Yankees, and I know we've got some Yankees here. Added another Yankee recently. Laura's a Yankee, too, along with the rest of you guys. Don't get the Yankees. Don't get the Mets. Don't get the Red Sox. But I get the St. Louis Cardinals. And I get their opening ceremony. And this year, I got to watch that opening ceremony that you just hear about. And they say nobody does baseball's opening day quite like the Cardinals. Uh, The Budweiser Clydesdales come out pulling that wagon around the track. You get to see those Clydesdales, and they play that uh, uplifting uh, beer jingle (laughs) on the organ. Then they bring out all the stars from the years past. Uh, This year, 16 of the 19 living Cardinals Hall of Famers were there. Tony La Russa was managing the White Sox. Keith Hernandez was busy with the Mets, and Bill White just couldn't travel told Gordon I would mention Bill White because he's also got a Yankees connection. Um, but they were there, 16 of the living ones, coming out in their little Ford Mustangs, being uh, 
receiving the cheers and accolades of the crowd. Uh, then came the players driven in their trucks. And I, I, and I looked and, and saw this is just spectacular. Somebody said, there's no city in the United States that celebrates any day like St. Louis celebrates opening day. I saw Tommy Herr, and uh, I've got a picture of him that Paula gave me at Christmas that it autographed of him leaping up to, to complete a double play, and there he is with his legs in the air. He's elevating over a sliding player, and he's firing that ball to first. He's got that long hair, and I always liked him as a kid because he uh, founded a group called Athletes Against Abortion, and I thought that Tommy Herr, he was my guy. He was outspoken for life even back then. Uh, we saw Mark McGuire, our, our sinner, who's also a hero, and he's not quite so big anymore because he's not taking those steroids. And uh, all is forgiven on opening day, and, and, and he's welcome into the fold. He's got the red jacket on. Uh, maybe the funniest was to see Scott Rowland. And Scott Rowland was a big star in Philadelphia, if you remember. Scott Rowland started there. And Scott got traded to the Cardinals. I think it was even mid-season. And he, um, he said all the right things. Thank you, city of Philadelphia. Thank you. You know, it was a great place to play. But then he gave an interview to a St. Louis paper, and he said, I felt like I died and went to heaven when I got traded to St. Louis. And that wasn't popular with the Philadelphia fans. And I took my daughter Sarah up to see his first game back. And, oh, they booed him, except there was a, a crowd of girls up in the screaming, 20-year-old girls, holding up signs that said, Scotty, you're still my hottie. And uh, I didn't see those girls when Scott Rowland tried to swing his legs over the side of that Mustang and stumbled at the crowd. No one was screaming, Scotty, you're still my hottie, you know, all those years later. But here it is. Time changes. Things happen. Uh, this year, there was no Lou Brock and, and no Bob Gibson. Uh, coming up, there was no Ozzie. There was Ozzie Smith, but he didn't do his backflip. Uh, he might not. Uh, but it happens. This is just a tradition. This is what you expect. This is St. Louis on opening day. Now, that's how it's been for decades. Other teams have something that they have for their traditions and their pomp and circumstance. This is how it's done there. Now, after, and we're getting, we're getting, there's a point. This is not St. Louis Cardinals baseball history. Promise you. Could be, but that would not be the dignity of the service that we talked about earlier. It's getting there. What happened is after the Cubs won the World Series, Cubs win the World Series, the very first home game the next season sadly, was carried by a clueless network called ESPN with a baseball announcer who didn't know anything what she was talking about. And she said, oh, if you'd have seen what the Cardinals did this year because it was against the Cubs. It was a Sunday night game or something, or however they worked it. It was the first game back. And she said, oh, the Cardinals this year, they're wanting to show the Cubs that they mean business. They hated losing to the Cubs, and so they brought all their star players out, and you should have seen all they did. They wanted to show the Cubs that they are serious, and this rivalry means something. And that's a, a lie. That's a, a false take. That is, that is ESPN trying to promote themselves in their game, and it's a, it's a woman who has no clue about history and tradition. Now, not that there's no rivalry 
but that on opening day in that ballpark, whether it's 20 years ago against the Montreal Expos or whether it's five years from now against the Washington Nationals, it's going to be the same. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be a, 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 a renewal. It's going to be everything that opening day is to be. And it had nothing to do with the Cubs being in town. But people try to take what they don't understand and lie and hype things up and, and make it for their own agenda. This happens a lot even with Palm Sunday. When it comes to Palm Sunday, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what actually happened when Jesus entered to the roar and the throng and the, and the exaltation of the crowd. We see in the pages of Scripture what was going on, but tradition has come along and, and uh, put things in our heads, I'm afraid. So I want us to think about what we call Palm Sunday. Think about Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Think about what was really going on there and not just take what some clueless uh, broadcaster has told us was really happening. I hope this morning that you see Jesus as king. From that passage we read, Jesus as king. There's a reason why when we close after this sermon, after our worship, we're going to sing, lead on, O King Eternal. Uh, You need to see Jesus as king on Palm Sunday. You need to see Jesus also as the Passover lamb. And I also want you to see yourself, if you're a Christian, as a modern-day Lazarus who has a role to play in this life, the same as Lazarus played that role in those times. So king... Passover lamb, you as Lazarus. That's where we're headed. But first, there's some preliminary remarks about Passover Sunday. You need to understand, and we see from Scripture, that this Passover event was an abrupt change from the way things had recently been going in Jesus' earthly ministry. This Passover event was an abrupt change from how Jesus had currently been operating. I went and spoke. It was, a, it was at the Methodist Church in Delaware. I was working like for four or five months before we came up here to plant this church. I was at a rescue mission, and I was like the public liaison going to churches that represented, and I was speaking five minutes in this church, then the next Sunday, five minutes in that church, talking about the Sunday breakfast mission in Delaware. And I found myself in, uh, in Red Lion Methodist Church, where this pulpit actually was sitting by the dumpster uh, uh, a year later, and, and we got it up here. Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse preached from a sermon from this pulpit uh, in history once. I'd like to hear that. But um, I was there, and it was kind of, it was Palm Sunday, and I don't know if they'd given palms out to the kids or not, but there was kind of a little bit of a buzz. And that pastor who was speaking, like he started out really calm. Then I didn't even notice what he was doing, and he had taken his jacket off. He said, and the people threw their coats, and, and he threw his coat, and it was like everybody jumped. Uh, You hear these startling things on Passover day. What was it like when people started screaming for Jesus when he came into town? What was it like when they threw their coats on the road? This had not happened in Jesus' ministry uh, for a long time, if ever. He had done miracles. They were chasing him around for their next meal after he fed them the one meal. There was praise of Jesus early on in his ministry, and there were a lot of crowds and people that came. But after a while, when he started talking about this thing called death and and all that gloomy stuff and all that, uh, it dwindled. 
And it was Jesus and his disciples. And it was a harder road. And it was a wondering what was happening. And then all of a sudden, on this one day that we call Palm Sunday, out of seemingly nowhere, the throngs just praised Jesus, yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus started out the same way he ended. Jesus' beginning of his ministry, remember we talked about three things. Jesus as king, Jesus as Passover lamb, and you as a modern-day Lazarus. Jesus started his ministry, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There you see the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is right here with you, in other words. He presented himself in that way as a king. He said, believe in the gospel. What's the gospel? The good news of salvation. He was declaring himself and would declare himself as the ultimate Passover lamb. And when he was calling people to repent, he was calling them to repent and believe in the gospel. He was calling them in the same way later he would call Lazarus from physical death to life. He was calling people from spiritual death to spiritual life. When you got saved, it was in response to Jesus talking to you in your deadness saying, sinner, come forth, come forth. This was not just a fulfillment of everything that was foretold in the New Testament, but it was also the Old Testament proclaiming that. It's also an Old Testament connection. A person stopped by this week, and he may, he may tune this sermon in. I have, I have no, no, no uh, illusions that he may not, but he stopped in and he was telling me, I've known this man for a few years, not a Christian yet. And he said, He's having these spiritual things and God's doing some things in his life and he's, he's uh, awakened and he's kind of one with uh, consciousness and he was talking spiritually about some things. And I just said, good, I'm glad to hear that. I said, I think if, if this is really true, then God must be starting to do a work. Do you have a Bible? He said, I don't have a Bible. I said, let me give you a Bible. He said, well, he says, I like the New Testament. I don't like the Old Testament so much. And I said, well, the Bible I'm going to give you has both because they're both written by the same author and they both do the same things. And I said, actually, if you were to read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you'd find out that the God in the Old Testament comes across as a little better than the one in the New Testament where there's all this uh, hell and, and in judgment stuff. And so I gave him the Bible. And then we'll see what God does with him. But the Bible is connected. And so we see Jesus on Palm Sunday talking about himself and showing himself to be the king, showing himself to be the ultimate Passover lamb, showing people being converted and brought from death to life. We saw how that started even in his declaration at the start of the New Testament, but do you know that is in the Old Testament just as strongly as the New Testament? What happened? This was a fulfillment of what everything, everything that had been pointed to in the Old Testament scriptures. As soon as Adam and Eve fell into sin and they earned death as the wages for their sins, God declared the gospel. 
I was talking about this with the kids in Sunday school and one of our young ladies, I, I won't give her name, but I, I won't, I won't, I'm smiling, I, I'm, I'm not. I was going to give your, I was going to say I'll give your initials and I was going to spell your name, but I'm not going to do that. But, but you see who it is. She knew right away. She knew right away. And she quoted Genesis 3.15. As soon as there was a sin, there was Genesis 3.15 in that part where God said, uh, I will put to Satan, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We call that in seminary, they told us that was the, what was called the proto-euangelion. Proto meaning first. Euangelion meaning gospel. Angel, get, we get the word angel or messenger from that. The first gospel pro- proclamation happened in the Garden of Eden right after the sin when God had him lined up and was talking about the consequences. There was a promise of Jesus Christ even in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is full of passages of what kind of passages are there. These three things from our sermon. Jesus as king. There's a king coming, riding on a donkey. That whole Zechariah passage that that John read this morning. And what's that king going to do? He's going to set his people free. He's going to fight. The whole thing of Jesus as the lamb. All those sacrifices, all those Passover passages pointing to Jesus, not just as the king, but as our ultimate Passover lamb. And the Old Testament is also full of people converting and having their eyes open and seeing Jesus for who he is. And that whole promise about how God said to Abraham, uh, out of your offspring, the whole earth will be blessed. And so there's a united, coherent message throughout all of the pages of Scripture about Jesus as king, Jesus as ultimate Passover lamb, and conversion of his people. And we see that in this passage, because why wouldn't we? It's right there. It's on Palm Sunday. So he's that. This was a fulfillment of all of it. Jesus had earlier refused the offer of kingship from the people because the people didn't understand what kind of king they really needed. They knew what kind of king they would like to have, what they wanted, but they didn't know what they needed. And Jesus was not going to be an earthly king giving them earthly things. Hey, put him as as president. Interest rates would go down. uh, Petroleum production would go up. We'd be this, we'd be that. Uh, Boy, that'd that'd be the best president. I'd vote for Jesus for my president any day. He didn't come to be the president of the United States of America in 2020. He came to be the king uh, because he was the king. And he came to show his kingship in that way. We want a political savior. Sometimes we just want to have our earthly needs met any way we can. We say, God, give me these things. Um, I'll believe in you. I'll talk about you. But don't make me too much of a weirdo in the eyes of the world. Don't make me too strange. I still want to get along uh, with this world who wants those kinds of kings. But I want my kind of king. And I want you to be my kind of king. Cross and the crown go together. We talked about this in the men's group study. Cross and crown together. Jesus was a, uh, carried a cross. He wore a crown. God 
give me, give me, give me, but don't make me commit too much. And yet, a king is a king is a king. And Jesus turned down the offer of king earlier. Now, all of a sudden, he appears to be taking on that role. And this is a place where people get the Palm Sunday wrong. Many people have said, it was surprising how many people have said that this is Jesus. He's on the ropes a little bit. They're after him. And Jesus is giving people one last chance to see him as a king. And he threw it all, all his eggs in one basket. He went for broke. He went, this was his Hail Mary. Uh, this was everything that Jesus was doing to try and, and win this power struggle with these Pharisees and, and with the religious group. The theory is this. The scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees were closing in. They were warning people uh, to turn him in if they knew his whereabouts. Jesus knew he could not even trust his own inner circle not to take those pieces of silver and betray him. And so he had to do something big and bold. He had to bring out the old stars and parade them around and show that he meant business. He had to do everything uh, that that, that that liar said about uh, Cardinal's opening day. That's not true. What was going on here? Uh, listen, listen, uh, 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 what was happening and, and, and the circumstances of Jesus' life. John eleven fifty five through 57. It's one page over if you still have your Bible open. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. And we see Jesus coming in and receiving the accolades of the people. This was a change in how it had been. It had been pretty quiet until Lazarus, until the anointing, until he comes in. Uh, Now, Understand, there are different accounts. I hate to say versions. And even saying different accounts does not mean that some are true and some are not. But you've got four places where, the, where, where Palm Sunday is talked about in Scripture. We talked about this a little bit in the men's group. Uh, there's something called the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels. And I've said... Anybody who gets the answer to the question right gets a free cup of coffee because the coffee had just finished brewing. And uh, I forget who got it right, but they got the free cup of of coffee, but they didn't take advantage of it. Uh, The synoptic gospels are this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then you have John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. You think of the word uh, syncopated, or you say, I'm in sync. Synoptic, it comes from that. Together with is, is is the Greek preposition. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have a lot of similarities. The theory is this. We don't know for sure how it happened, but you know, smarter people than, than, than me, uh, people a whole lot smarter than me, and, and others look at it and they say, quite likely, most likely, Mark was written first. That's not something to die for, but it just looks like the internal evidence. It also looks like Mark was Peter's account. There's some internal things, and you can read some some fascinating things on on how this could be Peter's account to Mark. They say that one was probably written first, 
And then Luke came along, or Matthew came along, and because Matthew was writing from a standpoint to reach the Jewish people, he took Mark's uh, gospel and he used some of that, but he expanded, he gave a a slant on his. Uh, Luke came along as a Gentile, interviewing people, traveling with Paul, and he gave his, and that's why you have genealogies in Matthew and Luke that are different. Matthew writing for Jewish people in its initial reception, uh, goes and and stops back at at Abraham. Luke goes all the way to Adam. Uh, Things like that internally. Uh, But we know that all four Gospels were written by the same author, ultimately, breathed out by God uh, through the pens of those writers, holy men of God speaking uh, as they were uh, moved by the Holy Spirit. And we know that they were all for all of us. So I said, here's a trick question, men. Which one is more accurate? And they all knew the answer. <laughs> That's a trick question. They're all accurate. They're all true. It would be as if, let's say, um, since I've already picked on Emma once, we'll do it again. If I said, um, I've got a sketch pad, and I'm going to write a, draw a picture of Emma as I can sketch her. We'll let Eve sketch her from that side. We'll let Lily sketch her from that side. And we'll let Dave or Connie, which one? Maybe together they'll, they'll sketch. Well, it's the same person, but it's from a perspective, and it's going to be true, and my description is going to be from this direction. Theirs is this one. Uh, God gave us the Gospels, all true and all for a reason. And so in John's Gospel, John comes along a little later, roughly 20 years later, and he sees the church in its development. And he reads these things. And there is a lot in John that's not in the other three. Then there are some places where they all come together. Now, John also wrote like the other three did and included this event. It's a huge event. But John put some things in there that are a little different. For instance, the only reason we call this Palm Sunday is because of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke say nothing about palms. They talk about branches and coats and voices. Uh, No palms until John writes that they were palm branches. People say, why was that? Why palms? Somebody said this. They said 150 years earlier in a fight against the Syrians, uh, their symbol was palms. And then they look in history and and there's an, an insurrection that happens 50 or so years forward. And they mint these coins, and they're going to rebel, and, and, and their little symbol is palms. I thought of, if you've seen those movies, uh, The Hunger Games, or, or read the books, uh, the Mockingjay became this rallying symbol uh, for the people that were fighting against the oppression. And somebody said, well, maybe that's why John even includes the palms. But why? Uh, the people wanted a king to, to, for the insurrection because palms were not part of Passover feast, they were part of, of a different celebration that the, that the Jews practiced. We don't know, but that's just something different. Uh, another um, thing that's different about John from the Synoptics as he writes about the Palm Sunday is this. The others emphasized more about Jesus orchestrating this, sending them in. You'll find a colt. Tell the, oh, if the owner asks you what, what it's for, it's for this, it's for me to ride in on. And they, they emphasize that. John's passage even talks about the actions of the people before it even talks about Jesus orchestrating. A little bit of a different emphasis 
all of it true, but that's different. The other thing that is different, it will be our third point of the, of the sermon, which we're going to get to really fast, is the effect of Lazarus on as part of Palm Sunday. So the strong emphasis on Lazarus. So we're here in, in John, we're looking at Jesus, and you are intended to see Jesus as the king. Every, everyone tells you that. You're supposed to see Jesus as the king. Not Jesus trying to become the king, but Jesus as the king. There was a song we used to have in our blue books, and we took it out when we revised it, because uh, it could be so misunderstood. And it, the song says, As we worship you, Jesus, you build your throne. We give you permission. You build the throne while we worship you. We're going to bow down and worship. And you, you construct your throne because we tell you you can, you can be the king. Uh, he's the king whether we tell him he can be or not. Uh, the whole talk of, of uh, making Jesus Lord. Boy, some old elder just, when I was a youth pastor, I thought that old man, Frank, was going to clean my clock. He saw me with a book, and I was teaching the youth group, and, and, and our lesson, our book was Making Jesus Lord. And he says, Pastor Finley, no, you're teaching this? <laughs> and he was doing a good job as an elder. He was right on. Uh, Jesus is the Lord whether you make him the Lord or not. You don't give Jesus permission to be the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the king. He's going to ride in, and, and, and whether he rides in incognito or whether people worship him or not as the king, he is the king. And one of the other accounts says, even if you tell these, the Pharisees saying, tell these people to be quiet, he says, the rocks are going to cry out, I'm the king, and I'm acknowledging myself. He is the king, and he rode in to be the king. They, they reference Zechariah that we read, but the people cried out, and what the people were uh, crying out was from Psalm 118. Psalm 118. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And when we read sections of the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament, a good way to understand biblically what's going on is to realize they might refer to two or three verses, but they're talking about the whole context. For instance, when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out and you you find that psalm, 22, I believe, it's my, my brain, I didn't write it down, but Psalm 22 where he's crying out, you see the whole psalm paralleled in it. Here's Jesus, and here's what they were crying out. Psalm 118. Uh, they cried Hosanna. Hosanna in the Hebrew means, save us, we pray. Save us, we pray, O Lord. And they cried out, save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna. O Lord, we pray, give us success. The next verse. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. But the lead-in to Psalm 18, your King Jesus riding in, receiving proper accolades for who he was. Look at Jesus in Psalm 118. The lead-in is this. Look at verses 5 through 7. The psalmist says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And you see oppression. You see hatred from the powerful on God's person. And you see them calling on the Lord in their distress. 
saying, the Lord is on my side, the Lord is my helper. God the King coming in and riding in, receiving hosannas, hosannas from an oppressed people. And he came in as king to save. He came into your life, riding in on a colt, a foal of a donkey, because he's king and because he's your king. And he's saving you from that distress and and, and oppression. Verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Uh, We find all these human beings that are going to save us, that are going to get our economy right, that are going to protect us, that are going to do all these things for us. He says, no, trust in the Lord, the King. Psalm 118 is leading to Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a psalm about Jesus. If you look at Psalm 118 this week as part of what you do, if you want to do something a little extra this week because of of, uh, Holy Week or whatever it is that that you want to do, read Psalm 118 and see how it points to Jesus and how it relates to you in relation to your King, Jesus. Listen to this, verse 13. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. You been like that? Felt like that? Is that what it was like when King Jesus came riding into your life on his donkey? Verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That's your king. That's your kind of king. Psalm 118 talks about that. Unless there's any question about whether this psalm and, whether, and in Palm Sunday itself is about King Jesus. Listen to these verses that are also quoted again and applied to Christ in the New Testament. Verses 17 through 22 of Psalm 118. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then we hear the people lining the streets saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. He's your king. As John read earlier, Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble, mounted on a donkey. You see Jesus as your king, riding in. That's the Palm Sunday passage in the Palm Sunday message, but we also see Jesus riding in as the Passover lamb. The timing was God's timing. It wasn't like they're closing in, i got to make a stand. It's this is what everything has been leading to, and I am the perfect lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. They say the number of lambs sacrificed during this national holiday, uh, some, somebody, Josephus, who they say is an exaggerator in history. But he said there was like 200 and 
thousand whatever big number over the 200,000s of lambs slaughtered uh, during this uh, Passover. He said there were 2.7 million people in Jerusalem. And I'm scratching my head and I'm going, that's got to be high. Were there that many people around? But he's our one voice. But even like some say, and you round it down to about half a million, think of 500,000 people there in that town and think of all the lambs for slaughter. And somebody pointed this out, and I had never heard this or thought of that. They said, where did they get them all? Where would they get all those lambs? Even if it's 50,000 that were part of their feast, they wouldn't have stored them all in. They'd be moving them in, moving them in, moving them in. There'd be a constant procession of lambs. And they said, quite likely, Jesus is on that donkey riding in with all the other lambs, the, the, the lesser lambs around him. And here comes the Lamb of God take away the sin of the world. And you see Jesus coming in, walking and riding among the lambs. Here's the Lamb of God. What a picture. He's not just your king. He is your sacrificial lamb. We talked about this last week, the passage that talks about uh, the the blood of the doorpost and, and the angel of death coming. And if he sees the blood, he will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The Passover dinner, Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Jesus clearly, clearly was presenting himself both as the king and as the Passover lamb. He is both of those in your life, Christian. And I talked about this last week, but I'll ask it again. Is Jesus' blood on the doorframe of your heart? Is Jesus' blood on the doorframe of your heart? Old bluegrass song I heard this morning on the way in. It's a guy on his deathbed saying, Lord, I wish I'd written the words down, but he said, Lord, don't come and get me yet. I'm not ready. I see the angel there. Give me some time to prepare. Give me some time. I'm not ready. You don't have time to consider it? There'll be time to consider it in a different context later. I hope that's not anybody here. Don't believe all that stuff. Smarter than God. I hope you don't live to regret it, and I hope you don't die to regret it. There is blood that saves, and it's the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for his people. The message of Palm Sunday is Jesus is both your king and he's your Passover lamb. And then finally, a different thing that John uh, included as he's talking about it, this is the Lazarus effect. Lazarus had been dead. He'd been dead. Jesus walked to his tomb. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Wept outside of Lazarus's tomb. He called Lazarus to come forth from the dead, and Lazarus did. This was public knowledge. He was evidence that there was something about Jesus. You want to get rid of the evidence, you've got to get rid of Lazarus too because everybody was coming. Lazarus was there. He was eating, walking. He was breathing. Usually when I preach a funeral at the graveside service, uh, if, if it's a funeral of a believer, I'll say, uh, tell this old tradition in, in the early church, they said that Lazarus never smiled uh, after he was called back. That was the tradition in the church. 
He said he never smiled. He was just mad that he had to come back from heaven to earth. And, and they, they told that. And I say that as a word of comfort to, to people who are, who've lost a loved one who's in heaven and say, uh, your loved one is up there smiling. And if they had to come back, they probably would be like that tradition that they say of Lazarus, never smile, just mad at Jesus all the time. Why'd you make me come back? Why'd you make me come back? I think it was different, though. I think Lazarus could live free. Lazarus probably laughed louder and harder than the rest of us because he knew what was coming. He knew you get all this and you do your best with this and you enjoy the good things. Uh, It might be opening day of baseball season. It might be a good song. It might be a sunny day. It might be a good meal. But you get all the good things here. And when you deal with the bad things here, you go, I've got heaven coming. And whatever's here, that's a billion, billion times better than this. That's Lazarus. He'd been dead, but he was a slap in the face. The Pharisees were threatened politically by Lazarus. He was a demonstration of Jesus' power. They were going to lose something if people followed Jesus. And it says they were coming to Jesus because of the evidence of Lazarus who'd been brought back to life from the dead. The Sadducees were going to lose something intellectually because they taught that there was no resurrection. His grandpa said that's why they were so sad, you see. The Sadducees said no resurrection. And they were losing something because here's a guy who'd been died and he was resurrected on earth. And that throws a hole in their theory. They were angry. They, they wanted to get rid of Jesus. Uh, the high priest said about Jesus prophetically uh, when they said, let's just kill Jesus off. He said, well, it's better for one man to die uh, for, the, for, the, for the whole world. And, uh, but then here comes Lazarus. They said, we've got to kill him too. And one becomes two, becomes ten, becomes twenty, because that's what power does to people. It dehumanizes people, and people are just statistics, and power uh, kills you. You think people in power really love you as a person? No, they're interested in you as a statistic. Lazarus was a magnet for people to look at Jesus. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and Jesus saved you. And there is something about you that's different. And people know you. If it's a true conversion, they'll know that and they'll say, this is who I used to know. This is how she is now. What's happened? And the answer is, Jesus Christ has brought me back from spiritual death to spiritual life. And I've changed. Jesus saves people and he changes people. Two things about Jesus. He'd been brought about Lazarus. He'd been brought to life by Jesus, and he spent time with Jesus. You come see Lazarus, there he is with Jesus. Now, end of the sermon, going to the table. A wrong interpretation, a wrong lesson, a wrong message from Palm Sunday. This is only wrong if you take this as the message of Palm Sunday. You'll hear some people say, well, the message is this. People are fickle. People praise God one week and they yell crucify him the next week. And that's the message. Take this message away. Well, it's true that people are fickle. That's not the message. The message is Jesus is the king. Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. And Jesus brings death to life. And God can use you like he used Lazarus to draw people to himself. So it's a good thing. It's not just, and I read this this week, somebody said, So let your approach to your neighbors be like Jesus on the donkey and not Jesus on the white horse as you try to be like Christ. Be winsome and gentle and humble. That's true. 
That's true. But that's not the message. The message is Jesus is the king. And Jesus is the perfect Passover lamb. And Jesus raises people. And people come and they say, they look at you first and they go, you know what, that's interesting. But Jesus is the one, just like the woman at the well. It was interesting what happened to her, but when they met Jesus, they're begging him to stay with them because they know he's the one with the words of life and she's just the one who has changed. Regarding you as a practical application point, embrace your standing as Lazarus and let your life draw others to Christ. Some people may not like that. Some people may say, be better if she was dead or I'm going to cancel her out or him out because I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, But uh, just like with Lazarus, uh, Lazarus was used by God as one who drew the crowds. Ultimately, as I've said a lot of times, walk away with a renewed awe of Jesus as king. See Jesus as your king. And walk away. See Jesus as your Passover lamb the ultimate, final Passover lamb. Take the words that John initially gave to Jesus when he was starting his ministry. When Jesus was walking and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's our Easter message. So Lazarus, let's pray. Let's go to the table. Lord, thank you so much for salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our prophet, priest, and king. Thank you that as priest, he offered himself the perfect Passover lamb. Thank you that salvation is even thinkable, possible, uh, only because of what Jesus did for us. Thank you that our sins were not uh, brushed under the rug or or held somewhere uh, to be used against us later. But thank you that when Jesus died, he bore the weight of, of our sin in his body on the tree. Thank you for Uh, the acknowledgement the uh, few days before the crucifixion happened of Jesus as king. Thank you that it's only an acknowledgement, not something new that happened that day, but that Jesus has always been king. Thank you for Jesus as our king. Thank you for Jesus as our perfect sacrifice. Thank you for new life in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.